Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to Tech People. This is your host, Ken Coyne. Today, I'm delighted to have Greg Watts back in the show. Now, for those who remember, last year, we first spoke to Greg about his experience of partnerships in Poland, which was a fantastic success. At the same time, Greg was setting up his new company around partnerships and has kindly come back in the show to share his experience to date. So we decided to title the podcast, Reflections on Establishing a Startup in a Pandemic, The Good, the bad and the ugly. So welcome back to the show, Greg. Ken, thank you so much. It's, it, thank you for having me back. And uh, I must say, before we, before we start, happy uh, St. Patrick's Day ah, to, the, to, the Irish, to our <laughs> Irish um, friends and cousins and colleagues. And I'm, I'm sure that your, your, your listeners um, might have detected from your, from your very soft accent that you may, <laughs> you, you may have come from the Emerald Isle. So it's a shame we, we can't have cameras on because for the benefit of your audience, Ken's got the most fantastic green hat, <laughs> hat uh, that I've just had the pleasure of, of seeing. But thank you, for, thank you for having me back. You're too kind, Greg, too kind. It's all the pleasure to have you back in the show. <laughs> Listen, I'm really looking forward to learning more about your experience and the startup and you know, some of the challenges, some of the experiences, the good, as you said, the bad and the ugly. So before we start, would you give us a quick reminder a bit about yourself? Yes, of course. So my name is Greg Watts. I'm the CEO and, and, and founder of Finder. So Finder is a marketplace for uh, businesses to help them create partnerships. So the way it works is that a business signs up, they create a profile for free, they can then search relevant opportunities. So you could be a business and you could see an opportunity that Tesco have posted that who are looking for a new loyalty program or a new payment processing solution, whatever whatever Tesco are looking for. And if you can provide those services, you can request a discovery call. And then both you and Tesco have, have a call within, within the platform. So we're effectively putting an end to what we call cold prospecting. Um, we're helping businesses rapidly accelerate how they, how they create partnerships, often in minutes in many cases. So some journalists have described us as a dating platform for businesses where where a business comes on, signs up and explores opportunities. And in our case, we match them. So we incorporated the business on March the 10th in the UK last year in 2020, which was just a few days before the first UK lockdown. So that that certainly wasn't in our plan uh, to launch a new tech business just before a global pandemic took hold. We'll, we'll certainly come on to some of the experiences. And in particular, maybe we focus on some of the uglier pieces as well. But we, um, yeah, but we, we, we established the business the 10th of March. We raised um, our first pre-seed. So we, I can talk a little bit about what it's like to, to raise money virtually, having never actually met any of our investors, uh, bar two actually, physically. And we then used that money to then design, build, test, launch the platform with our terrific development partner, Ops Talent. And we then successfully launched it October the 30th last year. And as of today, about four and a half, five months on, um, we were expecting to have about maybe 50 or 60 users. 
We've now got nearly 300 spanning very early stage businesses all the way through to the likes of Visa, uh, MasterCard, we've got JP Morgan, HSBC, Uber signed up on US election day. Uh, so without getting into political views, uh, which is always a sensitive subject, let alone on a podcast, uh, <laughs> but we were certainly um, happy in our household with the US election and then the, the double benefit of, of Uber signing up, who are, of course, a US-based company. So that's a, that's a bit of an overview of, yeah. of me and what we've been doing. Amazing, Greg, and congratulations. What a huge success in such a short period of time. And I can, cont- I can attest that a fantastic platform. I use it myself. Really brilliant just to get those first introduction calls because it is very, very difficult to find a partnership or find a good match. And I do receive, you know, all those emails and all those messages on LinkedIn. And I, I think 98% of it, I find it's pointless. You know, it's not, it's not targeted towards me. It doesn't meet my requirements. Whereas a platform like Finder, I can go in and like see if immediately what the needs are. And I've got matching clients at the same needs. And it just takes all the pain out of the whole matching scenario. Mm. Fantastic. So tell us about you know, how has the journey been so far for you? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. And I swear at some point we'll write a book on, on what it's like to start a tech company and raise money virtually in a pandemic. So there's so watch out for the book. It's on its way at some point, I'm sure. So, but, but no, getting back to it, I mean, just repeat, I suppose repeating again what I said, but because it's so, it's such a fundamental part of the journey that we, you know, we didn't think for one second that we'd be we'd be creating a tech business or well, any business working from home. So lockdown um, happened a few days after we incorporated the business. All of the team then obviously were at home. In our case, I'm based in Sussex in the UK. Our COO is based, um, in, was based in Antigua at the time. She'd, she'd flown out for a holiday and then I don't want to say got stuck, but that's effectively what happened. Um, so she, she was in Antigua. I don't, I don't think she was complaining now somehow though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When we, when we were obviously on, on the calls with, with her, with Jenny James, her name is, yeah, hear, hearing the lapping of the waves behind her, we all, we, all <laughs> felt, we all felt terrible for her. But no, we had, so we had me in Sussex in the UK, we had Jenny in Antigua, we had our development partner based across Poland and Cuba, and then we've got other people based around other parts of the world. So all of us were working from home in different, across in different parts of the world. But actually what we found was we really believed that if we hadn't have all been working from home, we really don't believe we would have been as productive and we don't necessarily believe we would have launched on time, on budget when we did in October, because I'm sure we found that I'm sure many of your listeners found, and I'm sure you, I'd like we could tell your experiences of, of productivity in a minute, but we, you know, there was nothing else to do other than go on Zoom calls with team members, with colleagues, with partners, and, and basically in our case, design and, and, and build and launch our business. And I, I really do believe that we, we you know, we, we may not even launch by now, potentially. So I think so, so certainly for me and, and my team, the pandemic has obviously brought a huge amount of tragedy and challenge to, to the entire world. But in our case, it brought perhaps what I would call heightened productivity, dare I say it. And often when we speak to journalists or we take part in podcasts or panels or, or whatever it might be, people say, well, what's our experience of launching a business in the middle of a pandemic or in our case, just before? And the response is, it, for us, it's been good. And we, we initially, we were shying away of saying good, because obviously, with the pandemic, it's brought all the tra- tragedy that it's brought. But for our case, it's, it's worked out well, because we were more focused, more productive. Our growth has been phenomenal since we incorporated a year, just a year ago. 
Um, we're about to onboard four new starters to the team. So dare I say it, it's actually been, it's been, it, it was good timing for us. But obviously, <laughs> that we don't want to focus too much on the word good, but I can't, maybe fortuitous timing is a better summary, but it has been, it's been good for us. It's going to be interesting to see when the world opens up again, when we take on an office and, and, you know, when we go to the office, it's going to be interesting to see how our working patterns evolve. So, you know, we've had this good experience, this good productive experience in lockdown or working across the world from home. But what's it going to be like when we then go into an office? Are we going to slip back into other, maybe older, less productive behaviours? I don't know. But certainly at Finder, we're looking at, well, we're very focused on maintaining a balance. And I suspect that in our case, we'll have a hybrid model of working from home a couple of days a week, being in the office a couple of days a week. But I, I don't think the business world is going to go back to, you know, the old nine to five must be in the office. I think a lot of businesses were kind of getting to that point anyway, but the pandemic has, you know, forced us all to really reevaluate it. So it's going, to be interesting to see, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens out of lockdown. But I, I do think we're all going to be kind of adopting these more hybrid, flexible models, which actually to make you more productive in our case. Oh, I, I, just, I agree completely with what you're saying. Um, I've been much more productive myself, enjoying the whole, been working from home, even, you know, exercising more, going out mm -hmm. in the morning, being able to go out in the morning, you know, at half, seven, eight o'clock for everyone and still get back, have a bit of breakfast and you can still at your desk, you know, nine o'clock ready to go, which is fantastic. Whereas if, if you were commuting in the past, um, you would have to be in up, you know, six, whatever the case may be, just get some exercise in. Mm -hmm. you know, jump on a train or car, whatever the case, I mean, make it to work. It's been very, very positive for me. And I agree. I think I think we will go to a hybrid approach. I suppose it will depend on, obviously, on the organization and the type of work. But I agree, maybe two days a week in the office, maybe three from home, that kind of way. Um, but it works. I know that about it. It definitely does work. Um, and it's just okay. But we'll see how it goes, how it evolves in the next six months, next couple of years, really from there. Maybe talk to us about some of the challenges in the business. <laughs> yeah, I'd love well, to. Kind of the biggest challenges we faced in the first well, year. Yeah, so, so yeah, I'd love, I'd love to. What are the, what are the main challenges have been? Well, I, I, I think I would naturally say that one of the biggest challenges has been oof, raising money in a pandemic, in a, where, you know, where you're trying to raise, convince people to invest in your business without actually seeing them, you know, physically in person or perhaps shaking their hand. But the reason I'm reluctant to call it a challenge is because in our case, we've been quite successful at raising money. I mean, I'd never raised money before. And this is my first tech venture. And I think one of the things that I found about raising money is it, you know, it's just a conversation between two people or, or, or a group of people where you're explaining your business and what you do. And, and then you, you, you know, the potential investor decides whether or not they think that that will be a good return for their money. In my case, having never done it before, I don't have a precedent, which is why I'm reluctant to call it a challenge because I've actually really enjoyed the experience. But I, I do, I wonder whether I might have had a perhaps a better experience than if we hadn't have been trying to raise funds from home. Because I think, particularly at the start of the pandemic, I think people were much more human. And what I mean by that is a lot of investors, you know, they're very, very sophisticated, uh, intelligent, successful people who will receive you know, lots and lots of pitches every day. And so, but I wonder whether when the pandemic struck and when lockdown hit everybody, whether people, um, whether people were more open to discussions and conversations on a human level. 
and whether you know we were all working from home and we weren't commuting you know you know all these big vcs who would have been doing all these big billion dollar deals before were suddenly you know they were at home they weren't in their corner offices in canary wharf they were all at home in their in their pjs and you know so we we got a glimpse into people's homes where perhaps we wouldn't have done so otherwise and i wonder what, whether that brought a much more human element to everybody so that's I'm, I don't want to. So I don't want to say we. It was a challenge for us raising money. I, I actually found it thoroughly enjoyable because I think people were much more open and receptive to human communication at its most basic level. And so you know, some of I've established some brilliant relationships with our investors who are spread across the world, who have invested a number of times into Finder. They're based in Holland, in Hong Kong, in the US, uh, in Asia. And I wonder whether, and I never know the answer to this, but I wonder whether we would have perhaps met. And in the, if the pandemic hadn't have happened, and then second of all, I wonder whether they would have still invested. I'll never know the answer to that. But I do think that the pandemic and all the various lockdowns brought with it some kind of, I don't know, great leveller, which made people maybe more open to conversations uh, that perhaps they wouldn't have perhaps had otherwise because they were yearning for, you know, more physical communication. Yeah, very interesting. Great. On, on that point, uh, with the investor, I mean, how powerful was, you know, the network effect? that because you know when you're working from home like you, you don't get to meet people uh, as you would normally do or go to events to you know get these investors was it more to the network or was it through different channels yeah that's a, that's a great question so people often talk about when you raise money they talk about the three f's don't they the friends the family and um the third f i don't actually like the name of is fools i think it's a terrible third f actually i think it's horrible but friends family and in other people's cases as, as they describe them fools we found that, well, just to make the point very, very, very clear, we have no investors who are fools, just for the complete avoidance of doubt. But we did find that our first early investors were friends and family. So we started off like that. And then and then we started to speak to people we'd never spoken to before. In our case, we were in, often introduced to people through other people. So as you right. say, the, net, the network effect. And then just after maybe, I don't know, a few months, we've probably spoken to about 100 potential investors. Um, so starting with friends and family who then introduces to their friends and family who then introduces to perhaps serial investors. And now we're at a point where some of the people we were talking to six months ago, they've been seeing progress and now they're, they're, it wasn't the right time to invest them, but now they're starting to invest now. So we're finding that the first few conversations, we're finding that, yeah, the network effect, basically. Uh, we're finding that now we're at a point where Word started to spread, and it's certainly spreading well about Finder. We've got some good traction in terms of our members, in terms of some early results. And so we're finding that some of the early investors who we were way too early for are now investing. But one thing I would say, I remember actually with, with my very first conversation with the, with an investor, a, a Dutch investor who will remain, remain nameless, lo- lovely gentleman. I've never met him before. And I remember before my first conversation, he was my first conversation with a potential investor, and I was terrified. <laughs> and I, um, I've always enjoyed presenting, I've always enjoyed speaking. Right. But the nerves that I felt before speaking to this potential investor were nerves that I haven't felt for many, 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 many years. <laughs> and I think it was to do with, you know, you're suddenly asking someone potentially for their money, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a stereotype with investors often that they also might be horrible people, might be sharks. I mean, we've all kind of seen the stereotypes that come out of Silicon Valley. But I found that that, that hasn't been the case at all. You know, we've, we've spoken to delightful people who invariably, even if they don't invest, they've got good ideas, they've got good feedback. So the whole investment process, you know, brings with it meeting new, very interesting people who 
who want to help you grow, even if that's not through necessarily investing at that moment, but just with advice, with feedback. And that's that's been a real privilege. So, so even though you asked me the question about challenge, I don't think we've, I mean, let's maybe, maybe, maybe talk, I guess, some of the obvious challenges, you know, obvious challenges around managing cash flow, but that's nothing to do, you know, with the pandemic. You have to do that anyway. But I've certainly learned, I've really keenly learned the importance of cash flow and, and the importance of forecasting and reforecasting. Um, you have to, you've got to have a very tight grip on your numbers at all times. You've got to know the money coming in, the money going out. And I suppose that's no wonder that some of the best advice I received from some of our advisors was, you know, cash flow really is, you know, king and queen. You you really have to focus on it. And and we all hear the stories of so many startups failing often because they ran out of cash. And that's why you've got to have a really tight grip on it. And I suppose living and breathing that has just made it much more more stark. So even though managing cash flow isn't a challenge, I'd say I've certainly woken up to how important it is. And so yeah, just, actually, can I just jump in? Sorry, yeah, um, on the cash flow because it is a very important point in, in terms of the budget. You know what you originally expected and what you're actually spending. Was it you know was it streets apart now versus what you had originally planned? Um, you don't have to give me exact numbers now, but maybe you know percentages mm-hmm. or whatever case may be. But was it is it what you're expecting or not expecting? Oh, that's that. That's a great question. Well, our development partner are incredibly expensive. I must say that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm kidding, and I'm sure your listeners well, will. Great, I'm, I'm sure your listeners will understand the irony. No, no, no. Yeah. We have good commercial, a good commercial partnership with yeah. our development partner. But no, but but in all seriousness, answering your question, well, one of the things I've I've learned on this journey is that any forecast that you do in the very early days, you might as well just throw it away. So I found that so. I found that our actually I say that I mean our projections in terms of the money that we needed to spend at certain to get us to certain stages with the business, i.e. in our case, we raised our pre-seed and that amount of money was allocated in particular areas to design, build the platform, etc. And I'd say we broadly stuck to it actually. I think that said, there were some areas of spend that I wouldn't have spent in those areas knowing what I know now. I won't necessarily go into the excuse me, into the examples. But I think it took me a few months to be really focused and really clear on areas that I did need to spend money on and areas that I didn't. But after that three-month period, it was pretty. you get a pretty good idea of where you need to spend your money and where you shouldn't do. And I would say that if you haven't got that, if you don't have that, if it takes you much longer than three months, then I would kind of question that perhaps you benefit that would from, I don't know, a stronger expert to help you with the finances. But in our case, we I'd say about 80%, we, we stuck to what we had planned to, to spend. I don't know whether that's unusual or not. Um, but what I would say, uh, and certainly in my experience, is having a very, very, very strong chief operating officer, in our case, Jenny James, has been game-changing. So Jenny joined the business about four or five months, four, four five months, six months after, after we were incorporated. And up to that point, we were doing well. But I wouldn't say hand on heart, we had a, the tightest grip on how our operation was being run. And I can, if we get the time, I can, I can expand on that a little bit more later. But Jenny used to work at Carphone Warehouse. She was responsible for, she headed up all the change and transformation at Carphone Warehouse and Carphone Warehouse, Dixon's Carphone Warehouse, I should say, uh, one of the biggest retailers in the UK, if not the biggest potentially, although I need to check that. 
And so Jen was responsible for launching uh, online stores, opening and closing physical stores. So she was responsible for delivering huge change. And so she's a program manager through and through. And in, in my case, I'm a, I'm a marketing person, a salesperson, a, a strategy person. What I'm not so good at, and I'm not, quite frankly, what I don't really enjoy as much is running tightly the operation. I, now of course, I enjoy the outcome of it. And of course, it, I don't dislike it, but it's not an area of my strength. So recognizing that I needed someone to come and really t- take a tight grip on the operation was really game changing. And that's one of the biggest things that I've learned that, I mean, it sounds like textbook stuff, but you've got to have people around you who, you know, can do the things that you can't do or you don't enjoy doing or you don't want to do. So in my case, it was that it was kind of making sure that we had the the right governance in place, the right, you know, rhymes and rhythms. So every day we, you know, we have stand up sessions where we go through the plans for the day and then we review what we've achieved at the end of the week. And, and it's really, really action focused. And, and Jen does all of that. So. I think it goes back to this whole, just make sure you've got, you know, all the areas that you need to have covered to run and scale and hopefully, you know, successfully exit your business. Yeah, really very, very great insights there. Like, I agree, people are very, very important. And having those people focus on the right jobs, like you mentioned there with Jenny. But you you started to hire some people now as well. And, you know, you're hiring people for different areas of business. I mean, how do you decide, you know, where you need and balancing budget at the same time, what people you need to invest in to hire, you know, and how, how do you go about that process at the startup phase? Have you any thoughts you could share on this? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, you know me quite well. I've, I've definitely got quite a few thoughts on quite a few things. <laughs> but I would, but I'd say, um, I'll come on to answer that question directly in a couple of moments. What okay. I would say, we've learned, so we're in a fortunate position now a year on that we're growing the team. And I'll talk about that, as I say, in a second. But there were some people who work, who were with us in the early days who unfortunately didn't work out. And I think it's important to also recognize that, that when you set up a business, any business, whether it's a tech company or a food company or whatever it is, there's invariably going to be people that don't work out for all sorts of reasons. And I think one of the things that I learned very early on, and I, I've managed you know, really big teams in my corporate career when I was at Visa, when I was at Dixon's Carphone. I've managed teams all around the world. So I know what it's like to to hire people, to uh, nurture talent, to exit people, unfortunately, when situations call for it. I've got all that experience, but it's quite different when you're doing it for your own business. So we had actually just really one person who didn't quite work out. And I won't go into too much detail because it wouldn't be appropriate. But once it became quite clear that that person wasn't going to work out for either him or us, we made the decision, I made the decision with Jen very, very quickly that actually it was important to have a very quick exit for all sorts of reasons to benefit that person, but also to benefit our business. And so one of the things I've learned that if, if there are people that don't work out, it's just important, I think, to move as quickly as you possibly can. But I think hanging on for both parties doesn't, isn't good for the business. So I think long-winded way of saying it's important to make quick decisions where necessary when it comes to people which can otherwise damage the company. So we made that decision and then we all moved on, all moved on very positively. But coming on to growing the team, we've just, we have actually, it was quite on our first birthday on March the 10th last week, we actually made our first offer to our first full-time permanent hire who, apart from Jen and I, of course, to a machine learning engineer. So in our case, we're going to be applying machine learning to all of the data we capture so that when Ken Coyne is commuting to his office in Brussels on his run, he'll get a push notification from Finder saying, hey, Ken, 
Tesco have just posted a new set of partnership requirements. We think you'd be perfect. Click here to request a discovery call. So much like the dating app equivalent, although I, I don't have much experience of that, just as hard <laughs> to, I'll just put that out there. But so I'm told that's how the dating apps work. You effectively get pushed, <laughs> pushed recommended profiles, and then you can choose to either swipe left or swipe right. So we're going to be applying machine learning in a B2B context, do exactly the same thing. So it was quite nice timing that that person, that, that offer was made and he accepted on, on our first year birthday. We're also participating in the UK government's Kickstart program. So this is designed to help 16 to 24 year olds get their first foot on the career ladder. So it's a brilliant scheme, absolutely brilliant. And we've got a, a, a new marketing assistant and a new operations assistant starting uh, from that program in the next two weeks. And then our fourth new team member is going to be what his title is going to be VP of partnerships. He'll be responsible for selling, for selling Finder and establishing relationships with our corporate clients. Uh, Finder is a platform which helps businesses of all sizes and to create partnerships with one another, whether you're a startup scale up or, or a big global corporate. But he'll be responsible for cultivating the relationships with the, with the global corporates because sometimes they can take a little bit, a little bit longer to establish those relationships, which obviously we're, we're fixing it by what we're doing anyway, but he'll be coming on to do that. And then we plan to hire a product owner later in the year. And then we have plans to grow the team over the coming quarters. Although in our case, something else that we've learned is you have to, we don't have to, but we, we would certainly recommend being as lean as possible. So even though we're going from two people to six people, which is great, we're not suddenly going to jump to 20, 30 or 40 people, which would, which would be way too many. And I've seen a lot of startups make that mistake, which is I think they can, I don't know whether it's vanity or whatever it is, but I think they can, they can sometimes think that they need to hire lots and lots and lots of people, but that obviously comes at a cost. And as well as a cost, you've also got to manage those people as well. And that could sometimes be a distraction from running the core operation. So in our case, we've got a very lean team uh, coming in and it will stay like that for quite some time, which for investors is also, they also quite like seeing that, which is not unsurprising. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You mentioned there about the VP of sales, so you start and marketing now, which are obviously key areas. I mean, how have you been, you know, getting companies signed up and on board then with the platform the last year if you didn't have like a, a dedicated sales person? Could you share some insights on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm a former marketing guy. And so marketing for me is, you know, it's, it's, it's a passion. I, I love marketing. I love engaging with people to find out about them and then, and then tailor my, my product or my service to them as relevant. So after we incorporated the business in March, one of the first things that we did around about probably just about eight or probably just about a month later, actually, we hired a PR agency on a very small retainer. And we gave them a very targeted list of journalists and publications we wanted to speak with. And as a result of giving them that very tight brief, they, they were able to secure us coverage in, in a number of those publications. And we've been featured in Forbes and The Banker and various others, which is fantastic. Right. But as, whenever we did an interview with those journalists in those publications, there was a there was a call to action of people who, if they were interested in Finder before it launched, they could sign up for early access at www.finder.global. And so that effectively became our early beta group. And so whenever we did an interview, whenever we did a podcast, there was always that call to action. And as a result, we had about four or 500 people sign up uh, to get early access to Finder. So this was before our launch in October. And every couple of weeks, we kept that group updated with maybe a new product feature or a little update with how we were doing. And so we created this kind of engaged community of 
people who were really, you know, really interested in what we were doing at Finder. And as a result, a lot of them have subsequently signed up since when we launched in, in October. So my, my tip there uh, would be for any business to look at who do they want to communicate to? Who do they want their product or service to, you know, to be, to feature in and then target those publications, those journalists, those podcasts, whatever it might be to get the message out there about your product or service, but with a call to action to sign up to something, whether it's signing up for your newsletter, signing up for early access, signing up for, you know, an intro offer, just to start PR as, as early as you can. And I think a lot of people are reluctant often with to do that because I think sometimes a lot of people think that they must have the finished product or service or in our case, technology platform live and going and breathing and looking beautiful. But that's a mistake because you, you could build up a lot of awareness and engagement and loyalty before you've even launched, which is what we did. Fantastic. That's a really great insight, uh, Greg. Very, very interesting. Tell us, I mean, because I'm conscious of your time, tell us about the future. What's the, pl- what's the plan? What are the next steps? Ken, for you, time is never an issue. But, um, <laughs> but no, so our, our, our plans uh, are continue to grow. So we've launched. So our current pricing is that what we call the requesting business pays £99 if, if their request results in a discovery call. But we're about to launch two new subscription-based plans. So we're going to be launching a new plan, which is for £499 per user per month. They can get unlimited discovery calls. So this would be targeted at uh, scale-ups and and perhaps larger businesses that want to really boost their sales pipeline with with as many discovery calls as they can. And then the second subscription plan we're going to launch, which was actually asked, uh, requested by a couple of very big banks, is our enterprise plan. So that will include an admin user who can then distribute up to five licenses to his or her team. And then, then they can track performance in terms of partnership activity. So, and, and that's going to be really helpful for global businesses who want to get a much more of a stronger handle on who's speaking to, to other businesses, because we know it's quite a big problem that you could have the same person, you could have one person in France speaking to Tesco and another person in Singapore speaking to the same person in Tesco. But those people aren't, aren't, aren't coordinated. So that and that's going to be charged at just under £2,000 a month and with the ability to add new users at £350 each per month. So we're going to be launching those in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be bringing on board the team. So we'll be inducting them, onboarding them. And my head of sales is going to be focused on selling the subscription plans. So the, the spring and, and the summer are going to be busy months. And we're going to be starting to apply machine learning um, so we can create hyper-targeted recommendations, as I mentioned earlier. So yeah, it's um, it, it's all go 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 at Finder Towers at the moment, but it but it's exciting. But we just need to make sure that we're always very focused, and despite this hyper growth that we're experiencing, we we don't lose sight of you know the most important things, which is which in our case is creating a platform which helps accelerate business partnerships, and it's something that our our, our members want, and and then ultimately we you know we we generate revenue from that as well. That's the great, really, really exciting. And thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all that information. Uh, and I can add fantastic value to our listeners. So just remind us again about how we contact you and also about the, the website for the platform. Oh, yes, of course. Shameless plug. Yes, if you're <laughs> any business of any size, you can sign up to Finder for free and create a profile at www.finder.global. And that's Finder spelled F-I-N-D-R dot global www.find.global and when you sign up we send you a code for your first discovery call for free on us because we're nice like that so but no please please do come and sign up we are ridding the world of cold prospecting so we want to put an end to all those 
all those frustrating untargeted emails or LinkedIn requests, whatever, whatever it might be. And P.S. We do love LinkedIn, just not when it comes to prospecting. So, yeah, please sign up to Finder for free. Awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. Pleasure to have you back in the show with us. Thank you so much, Ken. Well, well, I'm looking forward to either the next six months or the next year with you reflecting on uh, more uh, good, bad and ugly. It's been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> I look forward to that also. Thank you.